Hello there, and thanks for checking us out on the Maine Question Podcast from the University of Maine. I'm your host, Ron Lusnet. You know, in this podcast, we talk a lot about research in its many forms. UMaine is, after all, the state's land, sea, and space grant university, and research is a major focus of what faculty and students alike do. That increased focus has led to the creation of a number of initiatives and events that have become signatures of what UMaine is all about. CUGR, C-U-G-R, stands for the Center for Undergraduate Research. That's a place where students who are interested in research can get started from the moment they get to campus if they want to. The Student Research Symposium, postponed this year due to the pandemic, annually brings together as many as 2,000 graduate and undergraduate students to showcase their work. In many ways, there is as much research on display in that single room as there is in the entire state of Maine. The role that UMaine plays as the major research and development hub for the state of Maine has grown in recent years. But how does an incoming first-year student learn about how to do research? It's one thing to know the subject, whether it's microbiology or art history. It's another to know things like how to create a robust research question to answer, how to use statistics, basically how to go about doing research. Ali Abedi is deeply involved in all things related to research at UMaine. A professor of electrical and computer engineering, he has his own groundbreaking work on wireless sensors, which we'll dig into. As an assistant vice president for research and the director of Cougar, he helps students at all points in the process learn how to become researchers. That effort not only helps the students develop, it's an important economic engine for the state of Maine, which needs talented young people to develop and grow the economy. We talked about all of this and more. Our conversation took place just before the COVID-19 pandemic hit and our world was put on pause. So big picture, can you talk about the role research plays here at the University of Maine in the life of a, an undergrad student? Yes, so research here tries to complement the education they get in the classroom. So we try to uh, enrich the learning environment for the undergraduate students here by not just teaching them um, different scientific or creativity concepts, but also mentoring them and holding their hands to actually implement and experience them firsthand. So it's going to be a complementary feature of this campus. Does it make understanding the subject matter that much deeper, that much uh, broader because they're involved in research? It does. Uh, so when they start to do research, they understand that they have only kind of scratched the surface in the classroom. They learn the tools, they learn the methods, but they have to go outside and try to sort through all these uh, piles and piles of information, which teach them how to verify information. We teach them how to ask the right questions, and we teach them how to um, try to combine their knowledge from the classroom with their experience to be able to, uh, in fact, um, try to sort out the correct information and answer those questions with some scientific backing. So trying to change us as kind of human beings that are trying to uh, talk about our opinion, try to move us to a point that we can talk about facts. So that's, I think, the major part that research plays in our role today. So what is the percentage of needing to know your subject matter, whether you're in biology or engineering or uh, 
you know, sociology and, and how to frame a research question, how to ask the right question and figure out how to answer it that's in a scientifically uh, robust way. Uh, if you look at like maybe uh, the history, like 3,000 years ago or so, or maybe more, um, the, the science was not that broad so that you could actually become expert in many different scientific disciplines. Today, even in one single discipline, there is so much uh, depth and so much breadth that um, we need to um, kind of try to come up with a trade-off between um, trying to learn everything versus trying to learn fundamentals and basics. So we try to teach a student the basics of scientific research, basics of creativity, and then uh, we hope that they will find their way or their passion in a specific area so they can actually go deep into those areas. But there's still uh, the fundamental pieces, I think, are important for them to be able to um, be successful in any area that they choose. So we try to focus on that. When you talk research, a lot of people immediately assume we're talking biotech, medical, engineering, uh, creating a device or something like that. But does that experience here at UMaine cut across all majors? Are you talking arts, social sciences, the, the whole gamut? Yeah, I think that's what makes UMaine special and unique uh, compared to many other universities. We are trying to break the silos. We are trying to uh, solve complex problems. And we all know that no single discipline and no single person can solve these complex multifaceted problems. So the way we define research at UMaine campus is broadly defined as encompassing all different disciplines and majors. So art, social sciences, humanities, hard sciences, engineering, business, they all work together as a team to be able to um, solve difficult problems which one person, one discipline is not able to do that. Talk about Cougar. What is it? What's its mission? And how does uh, that bring this effort together? Uh, does does it bring this effort uh, about research together in a coordinated fashion here at UMaine? Yes. Yeah, so Cougar tries to basically play a leadership role and coordination role across campus to be able to bring faculty and a student together uh, with some internal support but at the same time we are also trying to mentor both faculty and students that undergraduate research is a little bit different than graduate research and we are trying to um, share these resources that has been developed over years to make them more successful in this relationship. And we should probably define Cougar it stands for what? C-U-G-R. So C-U-G-R stands for Center for Undergraduate Research. And that has been uh, in existence for how long and, and how many students are involved? Uh, so if my memory serves me well, I think in 2008, uh, Cougar started as a committee. I was a committee member at the time, was part of the Honors College. And uh, we started our first symposium actually here in Barrows Hall uh, with maybe um, tens of students. But in the past um, 12 years or so, Cougar has evolved into any um, 12, uh, it become a center. And then every year we double the number of students. So last year in our 2019 symposium, we had over 2,000 students participated. So we can see the students are responding to a structure like this and they are um, basically growing in, te in terms of their participation and also the quality of their research. So now we are at the point that we need to really look into the next step, how we can improve it and take it to the next level. 
And how does it work? Does a student come to the center? Do they need to be recommended by a faculty person? Or how do they get involved? So the students will pick their topic. They uh, either find a faculty member or come to us and ask for a faculty mentor. We can pair them. But basically, we support faculty-mentored student research. Uh, at the undergraduate level, it's important to um, work with a faculty member or with a graduate student. And what we do, once they come to us with a specific uh, project topic, um, we'll try to give them some funding to be able to start working on that. And usually, once they move on into that direction, the faculty members uh, are able to get external funding and continue that research. Can you talk about the difference between the research that these undergrads are doing and what someone might see in a in a grad program? I mean, they're not. It's not maybe the same, but they're not asking simple basic questions it's it's in-depth involved stuff is that fair to say uh it really depends on how much the undergraduate student wants to put into the research so we have a, a wide spectrum of undergraduate students here some of them they just want some a specific task to do kind of get their their feet wet a little bit and see if this is for them or not some of them uh, they actually go beyond and impress us by being even more um, uh, productive than even a graduate student. So we see all different kinds of uh, students. But in general, the difference between the type of work an undergraduate student does and a graduate student does is that we define a very specific um, time-limited task for undergraduate students. Uh, we are mindful of their um, curriculum and courses that they have to go through. Uh, so how we can make it an enrichment sort of uh, experience. For the graduate students, that's kind of their bread and butter. So they have to think about independent uh, thesis and independent ideas and move forward. So it's a little bit um, different in terms of the levels of involvement. Now, UMaine is not unique in providing undergraduate research experiences for their students, but is it something that is fairly robust here compared to others and, and sets UMaine apart a little bit? That is correct. So when I participate in some of the national conferences like Council for Undergraduate Research, events, etc., I will see that many universities start to recognize undergraduate research. Some of them started to create offices or small centers. Um, some are under different colleges. Some are um, under uh, the higher level university administration. But I think at the University of Maine, the support we have at the upper administration, having the center being directly under the vice president for research and dean of the graduate school office, raised the profile of the center and helps us um, be a good conduit in terms of uh, channeling resources to the students. So I think it's uh, a very unique uh, sort of setting here at UMA. Now, we've heard uh, the term capstone projects uh, a lot you know, as we've talked to different folks around the university. What are capstone projects, and how does that fit into what we're talking about and into the larger picture? So in some programs, such as engineering or honors and some of the science programs, because of the accreditation kind of clear guidelines, capstone project is pretty normal. Basically, the idea is that if a student learns different subjects, how that student can bring everything together in one project and demonstrate mastery of all those subjects, helping uh, that student to be able to um, create a new knowledge or maybe build a new device or maybe um, do some specific research in a specific area. Um, so the capstone project um, can be expanded to different areas and some areas may have a different name for it um, but in general that's 
pretty much the culmination of all these different things they should have learned over, over four years. So for Cougar, um, some students participate in the research maybe as early as first year or their second year. But if you want to kind of compare that with Capstone Project, senior Cougar students' research will become something similar to Capstone Project. Now, as we're recording this, we're right in the beginning stages of dealing with the coronavirus, so a lot of things have been canceled here at UMaine, unfortunately, and one of those was uh, an event I know is near and dear to your heart, which is the Student Research Symposium. You talked about a couple thousand students being involved. Is, is that a place where this sort of all comes together and culminates and sort of puts all the research going on here on display? That is correct. We have been planning for this event for almost a year now, and we just uh, were about to close the submission system when the coronavirus news kind of breaks out. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, we had to postpone or cancel the event for this year, but um, that's part of the uh, research kind of experience for the student to come together, exchange ideas, especially this event is very unique in the sense that we have graduate students and undergraduate students. They come together in one setting, so um, having it in a virtual environment was not really going to get them the benefits um, that they could. So we hope that um, once the situation is resolved, we can um, reschedule this event hopefully for the fall. And as you mentioned, in one room you have up to 2,000 students uh, displaying their research. Where does that uh, sort of rank in the big picture of all the research going on in the state of Maine? That must be quite a large percentage of what is happening overall. Is that fair to say? That is correct. I think if you look at the research uh, projects at UMaine, uh, that's probably the largest institution in the state of Maine in terms of doing research. The display of research in the symposium is not only the largest in the state of Maine, I can say probably the largest even in the New England area, even comparing to the big name schools, they don't have gatherings as big as this. And again, the, the key feature here is that this undergraduate student can interact with graduate student. They can interact with faculty, not only from their major, but also from other majors. And also we interact with the public, the general public, as well as employers and sponsors. So it's a very unique setting that we created here. Is there a movement afoot to have all undergraduates, no matter what their major here at the university, engage in some sort of research or capstone experience before they get their bachelor's degree? Yes, that is correct. So that's where we are trying to move. If we want to become a research one university, that's probably one of the steps we have to take that uh, we should not follow the previous century kind of classroom education. We want to make sure that a student will have some um, experience during their time here either a capstone experience, a research experience, creativity uh, experience, but uh, we are moving definitely into that direction. You mentioned R1. We should probably explain what that is and, and what the what the goal for UMaine is in reaching that designation. So that's basically the Carnegie classification for different universities. Right now UMaine is R2, meaning that we have high uh, research intensity, but R1 means that the highest research intensity, so we can be become uh, part of the group of the top research institutions in the, in the country. We are very close to move from R2 to R1, and um, that means more research uh, in the university has to happen in terms of external funding, uh, more doctoral um, students and graduate student mentoring, especially non-STEM areas. I think that's where we can explore lots of multidisciplinary work uh, and move into that direction. 
Talk about your own research. Wireless sensors, I know, is a big thing for you. What are they? What can they do? And, and why is this an area of interest for you? We use sensors every day in our daily lives. I mean, a simple sensor can be like a thermometer that we look at every morning to see if we're going to go out, what kind of clothing we're going to carry with each other. Uh, in our cars, we have sensors to tell us, oh, your gas is getting low. Or um, in more sophisticated you know, systems, it will tell you when you're parking, you're going to hit the wall. So, um, so sensors are basically everywhere in our daily life. Sensors will help us be more efficient with our energy. In your fridge, the sensor will um, kind of regulate the temperature. The thermostat in your home is a sensor. Uh, but uh, these are the things that we have been enjoying for a while. Now we are taking this to the next level. We are trying to be even more efficient in industrial settings. So using sensors for agricultural efficiency, using sensors for um, monitoring forests to predict the future uh, changes in the forest, and using sensors specifically for our healthcare systems uh, when we get more uh, home care become more prevalent because of um, distances or uh, lack of enough um, you know physical you know uh, health services so wireless sensing research that we are doing tries to get the sensors from the lab into the field how we can have a sensor that can be a self-contained device operates um, on its own without much human intervention and how we can get those data together to be able to uh, make some decisions and, uh, and know more about that environment. So a lot of different applications and I, I guess the twist is the wireless piece of it and um, I know one pretty important application has been uh, for space exploration and, and has some of this work even been on the International Space Station already? Yes, that's correct. I think where space exploration, one of the big considerations is that we need to reduce weight. And weight means cost, and it means less fuel. It means we can go further into space. And up to a few years ago, everything was wired. Because of the reliability, you had to do triple redundancy wiring. The wires will need bundling. They need fixtures. They need connectors. Uh, so there is a lot of added weight which wireless technology can, can minimize. So that means lighter rockets, less fuel, uh, deeper space missions. Um, some of the work we have done in terms of uh, wireless sensors have been flown to International Space Station. Um, uh, the wireless leak detection system was the first of its kind to be able to automatically locate if there is any uh, leak, maybe because of micrometeoroid impact, maybe because of aging of um, hatches or different you know, nuts and bolts around the station. And um, the, in general, we have been working on um, trying to break the myth around the wireless technology that it may not be as reliable as wired to make it more useful in aerospace and space industry. And, and just so we're clear, I mean, you're talking about on a spaceship, if a small meteorite or some other thing happens and punctures the ship, uh, you know, that that's a, a, a pretty important job to, to make sure that doesn't happen or you know when it's happening, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, you need to know when it happens and you need to quickly find the location so you can fix it. 
if we don't have an automated system, we are going to waste a very precious crew time to be able to go and sweep the entire station to figure out where is the location of the leak. And this is where we are going in general. I mean, with many tasks that we used to do as humans, we are trying to go more into automated systems that do those tasks for us so we can actually focus our attention on, on the science mission and more important tasks to do. There was a recent uh, announcement uh, of a satellite launch that UMaine's going to be involved in, the NASA CubeSat. Talk about that. What 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 will happen on that satellite? And uh, this is sort of a new generation. It's not these huge uh, machines up in the sky anymore, right? That's correct. So NASA has um, a program called CSLI, or NASA CubeSat Launch Initiative. And the idea is that when NASA sends any big rocket to space, uh, we can kind of be like hitchhikers and you know put our tiny satellites uh, into the rocket. When they start to separate the, the engine from the rocket, the satellites will also be released into the orbit. Um, these are very small satellites. So one unit of that satellite is... 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter it's like a cube and what we are building here is going to be three units or three u which is 30 centimeter long and then um, 10 by 10 centimeter would be the cross section so pretty much it's size of a toaster right size of a loaf of bread pretty much yeah wow. exactly um, so uh, these cubesat will not have uh, a long life up up in this space probably from a few months to a few years and uh, they're small enough that when they come back to Earth, they kind of get burned out in the atmosphere. So they're not going to generate too much debris uh, as large scale satellites have been doing in the past many years. Now, I know you're involved, there are a lot, a lot of school groups involved, but basically, what can these satellites do? Uh, what capabilities do they provide? What, what can you do with them? Uh, the sky is the limit, pretty much, for these satellites. I mean, you can do so many cool things with them. But um, the science mission for this specific satellite has been defined by three different uh, middle school and high schools in Maine. Uh, Soko Middle School, Falmouth High School, and Freiburg Academy. And basically what they have defined was that um, one experiment basically looks at the temperature uh, profile of uh, Earth to try to identify urban heat islands. So if you identify an area that is much hotter than the surrounding area, uh, that will give you some kind of environmental indication of something going on there that they can start fixing it. The other uh, parameter we are going to measure is the concentration of phytoplankton in the ocean um, and trying to monitor the water quality in the ocean using that as a parameter. And the third um, experiment we are launching is um, trying to predict harmful algae blooms. So with these specific examples, we are trying to get data that can be useful for our fishermen, for agricultural you know, firms, and also in general for monitoring an environment. So you think of satellites traditionally you know, providing what, television and, and communications, but talk about the future capabilities. Is this a new generation of satellites? What can they do? What problems will they solve? How, how is this moving the ball down the field in terms of uh, development here? This is basically providing access to a space data for high school and middle school kids, to say the least. Basically, they can... Um, create these new streams of data, create more knowledge. Um, they can basically look into Earth from, from above, or in some cases, some of these satellites, they actually look um, 
outward from us. They look look at a space and try to collect some information from there. So it creates a new um, sort of low-cost access for the student to uh, explore the universe, including our Earth. Um, but at the same time, it's a new space economy that basically this data is valuable. We can sell this data uh, to those who want to go to the ocean, either for like fishing or maybe just for um, other purposes. Uh, we can um, look into our forest to see what's happening with the uh, foliage or with any specific invasive species, etc. Uh, we can become more conscious about um, how the water resources are kind of moving around, uh, much better weather prediction, and some of the problems and challenges in rural areas like broadband wireless access. If you can send these satellites up there to be able to provide broadband access to places that are economically not possible to run cable or, or fiber to them, um, it's better than nothing, right? So uh, there are many new applications that coming out through this whole area. And the idea is that we should be able to capitalize on those and get a portion of this new space economy. As you look into the future in terms of your world, the sensor world, what kinds of exciting things might happen in the future in, in the world of sensors? Sensors are getting more powerful. Uh, they're getting smaller and they're getting wireless. So we are going to see more sensors in our houses. Um, one um, hurdle in incorporating renewable energy in our um, sort of housing uh, sort of uh, environment is that they're not predictable. You can have a wind turbine, you can have a solar panel, but you never know how much power you're going to get from them. When you need it, they are not there, or they produce lots of energy when you don't need them. So with having sensors in your home, um, you can basically measure the existing power you have, you can measure how much is predicted to come in, and then you can basically plan how you're going to use that energy. Uh, when to turn on your dishwasher or when to turn on your washer or uh, what time is the best time to cook your food. If you can move things around a little bit, then you can um, uh, work with the undeterministic nature of renewable energy. This is one example. But there are other examples such as um, um, living uh, when we get older in our own home. Um, can we get sensors to help us navigate our own home better when we get low vision, when we get uh, low stability? How do we predict um, possibility of falls if a person is start to kind of lose their balance? How do we monitor people during the, the, the time they're sleeping? And how do we really monitor our day-to-day -day activities uh, using sensors? So there is going to be a lot of new sensors coming to us and that's basically called internet of things so all those sensors will be wireless they all talk to each other and they just help us have a better quality of life now uh, through your own research and also your role sort of uh, coordinating research here at UMaine you sort of I'm sure have your finger on the pulse of this but can you talk about the role of research uh, that happens here at UMaine and what it does for the state uh, in terms of product development, jobs, uh, the future workforce. I mean, this is a big part of how Maine is going to uh, develop and grow in the future. That is correct. So University of Maine is um, basically the only workforce development higher education institution here that is incorporating high activities in research and development into the workforce development. Uh, what do we mean by that is that the, the workforce scene is changing dramatically. 
Uh, we still need lots of skilled jobs, but we also need to be competitive globally in terms of the high-tech um, sort of uh, business sector. Um, so students who get involved in these sort of high-tech research, uh, they start to learn specific skills that they need to be able to create new jobs and new businesses here in the state of Maine. We look very closely to the specific commercial sectors in Maine, how we can help them as a university to make them more competitive. And we also try to look into the future, what's coming in the next five years, in the next 10 years. Um, if we are always in the reactive mode and say, oh, other states or other countries are doing this, now what we are going to do, we are always going to be behind. So the best strategy is to look at the university as kind of a tiny um, you know, hole to the future so you can put your eyes on the keyhole and look at what's coming to be able to prepare the students, prepare the workforce for the next five to ten years, not just be a reactive to what's happening in the rest of the world. Well, exciting times. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for having me. One note about the Student Research Symposium. A decision will be made later this year as to when and how that event will take place. Thanks for checking us out, as always. Subscribe to our series if you like what you hear. You can do so on Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Send us your thoughts if you feel so inclined at mainquestion at maine.edu. This is Ron Lisnett. We'll catch you next time around on The Main Question. <laughs>